Nehemiah chapter 6. Uh, we're going to go through verses. We're going to go through the majority of Nehemiah, but we're going to kind of survey it. Um, but I will read some scriptures. Love for you to follow along uh, if you have your Bibles. Um, we also have it up here for you on the screens. Nehemiah chapter 6, and we're going to open <clears throat> by reading uh, verses 1 and 2. And scripture reads like this. Uh, now when Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sambalot and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakkephirim in the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. Come, let us meet together. But they intended to do me harm. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, you'll know that Sambalot and Tobiah are reoccurring characters of opposition to Nehemiah throughout this whole story. And now here in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, Nehemiah uh, is invited to come and meet with them. But I really want you to underline, highlight, or remember what Nehemiah says at the end of verse 2, they intended to do me harm. Now on the surface, Sambalad and Geshem make what appears to be a simple invitation to meet. But Nehemiah sees through this invitation and perceives it for what it really is. It's a trap. Now I want you to remember something The enemy of what God is building in you will often set up harmful traps that appear to be harmless invitations. And the only reason why Nehemiah doesn't fall victim to this trap is because he walks in godly discernment. I I want you to notice at the very end, I say, will you come meet with me? And immediately Nehemiah says to himself, they're intending to do me harm. And if you can, write this down. Uh, Godly discernment is the ability to judge matters according to how God views them and not according to how they appear outwardly. Godly discernment, and it's much deeper than this, but this is kind of just an opening uh, definition. Take a picture, write it down, do whatever you have to do to get this into your heart. Godly discernment is the ability to judge matters according to how God views them and not according to how they outwardly appear. If you're going to protect what God is building, and not that what God is building needs protection, he's strong enough, but he's doing something inside of you and there's an opposition that's coming against it. And if you want to protect that, if you're going to protect what is being built in you, you're going to have to grow. You're going to have to make it it a priority to grow in godly discernment. Followers of Christ, please hear me out. You and I cannot afford to blindly accept things anymore. We can't afford to blindly accept them just because they look good. Just because they sound good or just because they make us feel better. We can't afford to do that. We must use discernment. And it's my prayer that we as a congregation, as a church, and you as an individual follower of Christ, it's my prayer that you would learn to carefully judge all things even if it comes from the church. 
that we will learn to carefully judge all things according to the full counsel of God's word, according to the scriptures, that we would be a, a Bible-studying, Bible-reading people, that Sunday morning wouldn't just be the only time in which you dive deep, but you'd be able to judge carefully all things, even if it comes from a pastor, according to the full counsel of God's word. And so in Nehemiah chapter 6, his discernment is on display. It's tested, and it's on display in three areas. Uh, false accusations will come against them. They will lie against him. Uh, number two, and we'll spend a lot of time here, false prophets. And finally, fake friends. And some of you are like, let's cover fake friends. And I'm going to tell you we're not. I <laughs> will probably spend most of our time talking about false prophets this morning. Um, but again, in each case, uh, they'll present themselves. They'll appear to be harmless, uh, inviting, and even helpful. Uh, but discernment will reveal their ultimate source. Where are they ultimately coming from? And what are they ultimately trying to do to me? Can I just say something about discernment? If you're new in the faith, you're probably not really good at it. That's okay. If you're new in the faith, if you've just started to walk with the Lord, uh, discernment is you're probably not really able to, at this point in your life, walk into circumstances and situations. And, and now let me just say this. You're, you, the spirit of God is inside you and he's speaking to you, but discernment is something that you develop as well. Uh, and, but let me just also say, some of you have been walking with the Lord for a very long time, but you too are not really strong in your discernment. And so there's a maturity process that's not about an age, but there's a maturity process that as followers of Christ, whether you've only been serving the Lord for a couple of months or several years, that the Lord wants to continue, the Holy Spirit wants to continue to develop and sharpen inside of you. And, but the good news is, is that we can develop it. doesn't matter where you're at. We can development. Amen. And so let's get into Nehemiah chapter six. I'm going to read verse five and seven, and we're going to talk about this real area, this first area uh, of false accusation that has come against Nehemiah. It reads like this. In the same way, Sambalot for the fifth time, this guy's really trying sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. Now I want to just take real quick point to point out open letter just simply means this letter is going to be read out loud in public and so uh Sambalot for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand in it was written it is reported among the nations and Geshem also says it that you and the Jews intend to rebel that is why you are building the wall and according to these reports you wish to become their king and you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear these reports. Now watch, I want you guys to see this. So now come and let us take counsel together. Now again, for those of you that have been with us for the last several weeks, you laugh at that because you understand that this man has been trying to destroy Nehemiah and, his, and the building project since the beginning. Now he's like, come, let's take counsel together. There's two points, and really I battled with these points because these points 
kind of feel like common sense. Some of you in here might say, well, that's not discernment. That's kind of common sense. But as I kind of studied through it, looked through it, I really felt like these two points were important for all of us. Two points that we need to observe uh, in this story uh, regarding Nehemiah and his discernment um, coming against this accusation made against him. Number one, uh, the first thing that I think really stuck out, and I just said it to you right now, when you read this is uh, uh, whenever Nehemiah, I'm sure, whenever discernment from Sambalot or whenever uh, opposition from Sambalot and Tobiah came against him, uh, it was easy for him to see it immediately because it was in the form of something against him. But at this time, it comes in a form of wanting to give him counsel because there are some things that are being spoken against him that he may need to work out. And so they're almost coming to him in a way of trying to help him. And so Nehemiah has to do a couple of things. There's two points that I've pulled out that I want to share with you uh, today. The first one is this. Uh, whenever discernment and accusation are, are colliding and you need to discern whether this accusation is coming from a place to be believed or not, uh, first and foremost, all Nehemiah had to do was consider the source it's really common sense but consider the source consider the source look if the source has shown uh, previous patterns of opposition to what God is doing uh, in the past you have the right to question it now if, if something in the past has opposed what God has been trying to do in you, and all of a sudden now it's coming back in front of you as, as disguised as a helper, uh, then you have the right to question the credibility of the source right now. Are you with me? I want you to look at Sambalot's patterns. And if you have been with us, you'll remember in chapter 2, verse 10, it displeased him greatly to see someone seeking the welfare of Israel. In chapter 2, verse 19, as the rebuild began, he jeered at us and he despised us while we were rebuilding. This is what Nehemiah was saying. In chapter 4, verse 1, as the wall was making progress, uh, uh, again, Sambalot, he was angry and greatly enraged. And in chapter 4, verse 7, when he heard that the wall was close to completion, it made him angry. Now, no doubt in my mind, Nehemiah preferred peace. But I'm sure he thought to himself, Sambalot, you've been opposing what God's been doing from the beginning. And now you want to meet and offer counsel for me? I'm sure he immediately thought to himself, it's not going to happen. Not today, devil. And I do want to say this kind of commonsensical thing, but I really believe it will help us grow. We turn unstable forces into credible sources. We don't stop to like consider the source. Where is it coming from? My pastor used to say, uh, wrong voices, wrong choices. We consider the source of the advice, consider the source of the counsel. And I, I, might, I might go off a little bit on a side tangent, but a lot of us, we, we want to grow in discernment for direction in our lives, uh, but yet the people that we're getting advice from aren't very mature in how they discern. Uh, and I think a lot of times, we, we seek out people purposefully not to give us spiritual wisdom because we kind of don't want to hear it. Some of us may already know. We have to consider the source. And so one of the ways that we can grow in discernment is by attaching ourselves to godly wisdom. Men and women who have proven character in the faith, they walk it out. They don't just talk it out on Sunday. 
And so, young man, young woman who's growing in discernment, why don't you find a man or a woman of God who's been tested in the faith and is still loving Jesus? Number two, the second observation. First one was considered the source. The second observation is any time a verbal accusation is followed by vague information, you have the right to question the credibility of the source. This is a little personal for me. But I want you to see this. Sambalot begins by saying, the nations are reporting. Did you guys catch that? In the past, I have suffered unnecessary anxiety because someone decided to start a criticism of me off by saying, everyone is saying. And at first, I used to allow this to bother me. But as I grew in discernment, I learned to respond with a question, who, who is everyone? Who's everyone? And when that question is kind of thrown back into somebody's wheelhouse, there's usually two ways that they can respond. Number one is um, they can't tell me. And it's at this point that I recognize that this just might be a tactic to get me to overreact. The second response is they, they may tell me. And when this happens, guess what? I consider the source. And look, if the source is credible, I humble myself and I adjust. I've been in circumstances where everyone really meant like three people out of a hundred. <laughs> and those three people, they were intent on being disgruntled, like no matter what I did. Let me tell you a quick story. A retired pastor once told a young pastor that one of the biggest regrets he had ever had in his 30 years of ministry was when he had stepped down from pastoring a church that he loved because he allowed people to convince him that the opposition against him was bigger than what it really was. He believed the few when they told him everyone is saying. Now, here's another side note. Even if everyone is really saying, <laughs> what matters most is what is God saying? What's God saying? What's, what's God telling you? Even if everyone is saying, what is God saying? You know, accusations have a way of exposing our fears. You know, will we fear the Lord or will we fear what everyone else thinks? Will you fear what the Lord is saying to you through his word or will you care about what everyone has to say about you? Which one will it be? As we continue, five times Nehemiah is sent letters, sent invitations that appear to be on the outside harmless, but in the end are looking to harm him. And five times he is able to discern because of the credibility of the source. Now they try a different tactic and we go from false accusations to false prophets. Read with me, Nehemiah chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 10 through 12. I'm going to do my best not to butcher these names. Amen. So pray with me as I pronounce these names. Uh, Hebrew was never a strong point in my life. I'm humble enough to tell you. Here we go. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, 
the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Now listen to what Nehemiah says. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. Isn't that interesting? So they tried to invite him to come to a neutral location in order to harm him. But Nehemiah, he discerns what's going on. He refuses to be stopped by them so that the work could continue. And after five times of that failing, they try a different plot. They try to go and attack him internally. And they hire us a quote-unquote prophet to prophesy to him, to speak a word of the Lord to him. And the prophet says, hey, will you go to the temple and will you hide in the temple? because they're coming to kill you by night. And Nehemiah immediately perceives that you're not a prophet at all. In fact, you've been hired by the enemies. I want to make several observations regarding discerning false prophets from Nehemiah's story. Now, obviously, discerning a false prophet is going to be a little bit trickier to navigate through than discerning a false accusation. I want to share with you three observations, and from those observations, we're going to dig deep into two of them, and so this would be a good time for our seatbelt lights to come on. Uh, Number one, this so-called prophet was an insider, which is why this discernment needs to be uh, grown. Do you understand that? Uh, There are levels of discernment. We continue to grow, and I'll get into how to build discernment, but we grow in it. False accusations, we kind of understand that that's a false accusation, and there's things inside of us that could kind of confirm that where this person's coming from is out of left field, but when it's somebody from among them, an insider then there's a new level of discernment. There's a new level of dependency on the spirit in order for you to determine whether this truth or not that needs to rise up and be trusted. This so-called prophet was an insider. In fact, Nehemiah knew his father. Nehemiah knew his grandfather. He was an Israelite. And this same difficulty, I'm sad to say, church, is true for us today. Uh, Second Peter Chapter 2, verse 1, makes it clear. We are warned, but false prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Uh, Sometimes it's someone we know. Sometimes it's someone who appears to be part of the body of Christ. Now, they're a part of the body of Christ outwardly, but inwardly they're not submitted to Christ. And so sometimes it could be somebody we know. Sometimes it could be somebody who appears to be, and I emphasize appears to be, a part of the body of Christ. So we naturally tend to give them credibility because of their title, their position, or their proximity to us. Are you with me? And so this is difficult to discern because this false prophet doesn't come from the outside but comes from within. Number two, this so-called prophet uses religious uh, rhetoric. 
He uses religious language. He can grapple with the scriptures. He understands what exactly to say to Nehemiah. What do I mean by that? He tells Nehemiah, Man, there's going to be safety if you run to the temple. And, you know, in Psalms, it does talk about God's house being a place of refuge. It does talk about God's house being a place of refuge. And for us today, these individuals, they can quote scripture, can't they? Come on, they can quote scripture. Uh, They speak Christian. (laughs) It's your season, right? That season is such a Christian word, right? I'm going to hold you accountable, brother, accountable, right? They they know how to speak the terminology of people who attend church, right? Uh, Some other people say, you know, I've heard people call it Christianese. I've heard some people say, you sound churchy, right? You ever been outside and you just sound real churchy and blessed and highly favored, right? It's like that is churchy and nobody say that. And I agree, you are blessed and highly favored, but you know how to speak the language, and so there, there's, a, there's a difficulty in discerning them because they come from among us and they even will talk religious, religious rhetoric. They quote scripture, they speak Christian, and they even casually use phrases like, uh, God told me, or God said. Now, I need to lovingly, amen, and carefully address you as your pastor today. And I need to not pull myself out of this correction. I need to come into this correction because I too have made these mistakes. So I'm with you on this. So will you please hear me out with just loving ears and then you could discern (laughs) for yourself. But I really need to lovingly address our congregation this morning. When we use phrases like God told me or God said, When it comes to prophecy, I think we need to start operating in the fear of the Lord. I know I won't get a lot. I fear we're not truly grasping the judgment against those words. I fear we're not truly grasping the judgment of those words. I fear it. I feel it. I sense it. And let me clarify I'm learning too. I'm growing too. You see, when I say God said, please hear me out. When I say God said, what I'm really saying is that what's about to come out of my mouth is unquestionably without error. When I say God said, what I'm telling you is what's about to come out of my mouth is unquestionably without error. When I say God told me, I'm elevating what I'm about to say next beyond opinion and testing. And I'm literally attributing them to the creator of the universe himself. So I'm learning. I'm learning. Here's what I mean by the fear of the Lord in our prophecy. We should be afraid of attributing something to God he never said. Do you feel that? You feel that? We should be afraid to attribute to God something that he never said. Yet, far too often, I think we casually use this language as if our words carry the same authority of Scripture. I need to emphasize this. With all the grace I can muster, 
I want to lovingly yet firmly invite us to reconsider how casually we use these words. Can we become a church that seasons our approach to God's words with humility and fear? So here's my pastoral advice. Unless it's coming straight out of scripture, try not saying God said or God told me. Instead, you might want to say, I feel like God is leading me to say. And then give room for whatever you're about to say to be tested and perhaps even corrected. This is important. Not everyone who makes a mistake is a false prophet. Right? So all of us in here are like, okay. Right? Because I'm going to have to do that to you. I'm not a false prophet, God. Not everyone who makes a mistake a false prophet, right? People can truly love Jesus. People can truly love Jesus, yet honestly misunderstand how to use their gift. A false prophet only becomes a false prophet when they refuse to be corrected or tested and continue to move in this error. So how uh, do we discern like Nehemiah? How can we know whether someone or some word is from God or not? Let's continue to look at 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3. It says this. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow, I want you to see this, many will follow their, ready, sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. Here's another one. And their greed, they will exploit you with false words. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Now, in Nehemiah's case, it was exposed that this prophet was hired by Sambalot and Tobiah. He was not in it to reveal God's word, but he was in it for the money. Peter tells us, all false prophets deny Christ and are eventually exposed in one of these three areas. Are you ready? You should take note of this because this is all over the place. All false prophets deny Christ and expose themselves in one of these three areas. Sex, money, and pride. Sex, money, and pride. That appeals to the sensuality of man. It all boils down to sex, money, and pride. The music that you listen to, listen for it. Sex, money, and pride. If you want to grow in discernment, begin to discern sex, money, and pride out of the context of Scripture. It all boils down to the master who has purchased them. They will deny him, and it will boil down to sex, money, and pride. Sex. I'm always amazed, and I'm sure there will be. My wife and I, sometimes we have a guilty pleasure. We love watching, like, cult documentaries. I know that's kind of odd. Um, and not a lot of you laughed, so I, 
I was, I, was, I was hoping when that came out, many of you would agree with me. Uh, we sit down, we'll watch. We'll watch these documentaries on how these cults form. And they're all, it's just always so interesting how it starts with some type of, it starts with some type of, type of like maybe really just beautiful, uh, 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 this opportunity for people to be able to move in a direction of positivity, uh, opportunity for them to make a great, opportunity for them to make changes, uh, to do great things. Uh, but it eventually just begins to derail. And I'm always amazed how false doctrine and cult practices, they always devolve back to sex. Uh, uh, whether it's multiple wives on earth or virgins in heaven, at the end of the day, many false teachers and false teachings end up elevating some form of sensuality to fulfill their own lustful desires. Before you know it, this little commune that got together and, you know, just wanted to love the neighborhood all of a sudden turned into a sex cult. And maybe it's not as obvious, but in a lot, it always devolves back to this. In the same way, it goes with money. Uh, some of you have been turned off by church because of money. Uh, the same goes with money. Sooner or later, the teacher's greed is exposed. And their lavish lifestyles betray their credibility. But you know what's so sad about this? Uh, they usually prey upon the poor and the weak. Uh, uh, the disenfranchised. Uh, they promise miracles, don't they? They sell holy handkerchiefs. And oftentimes, they focus more on sowing financial seeds than on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? The United States is the blame for this. We've sent countless of false gospels to other nations, and to other continents, Africa, the Philippines, so on and so forth, and people who are giving away, poor people, giving away the little that they have. And it's on TV all the time. I won't say any names. I'll let you discern it. But I want to spend uh, most of my time on the issue of pride because this seems to be maybe the easiest to hide, maybe. Um, here's how we can discern pride in a so-called prophet. And I check myself here often, okay? Number one, special connection. Special connection. I know secrets of God above and beyond scripture. Special connection. They talk and carry themselves in a way that makes us think that they have some kind of connection with God that we'll somehow never obtain. Because of this, you'll often see people flock to them because the way they use their so-called gift will draw you closer to them than closer to God or maybe just as close to them as you are close to God. Can, and can I get on... Let me get on the other coin. If you're somebody who's going to somebody constantly for a word from God, you're not maturing in your faith. You're turning them into an idol. Wow. Special connection. They'll carry themselves in a way in which they carry some unique vision, some unique understanding. And there are people, don't get me wrong, there are people who I believe, I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe prophecy is a gift of the Holy Spirit. But it needs to be submitted, tested, and corrected 
And there needs to be the fear of the Lord and the humility in our language whenever we're going to pronounce a word from the Lord. And it should always, 100%, not contradict Scripture. Never. Number one, there's a special connection. And then number two, that special connection leads to what is called a special revelation. Uh, Most of the time, their prophetic words go beyond Scripture. They'll claim to know the secrets of God and will actually feel more like, it'll, it'll feel more like fortune tellers. They'll feel more like fortune tellers than students of the word. It'll just feel that way. You might even pay for a word. Number three, control issues. There are people, and I include myself, okay? There are people using phrases like God said as a front to push their agendas, their opinions, and their ideas on how they think something should go. If you think about it, when they make the claim God said, uh, they're really calling themselves God. Are you with me? Uh, discernment reveals that they're not being led by the Holy Spirit, but they're actually being led by a wound from the past that's causing them to desire control. Uh, Again, I I need to just clarify. I routinely check myself in all three of these areas. Because of sin, uh, because you and I, sin is inescapable as long as we're on this side of eternity. Uh, Nobody is beyond making these mistakes. But a false prophet is revealed when they refuse to be tested and corrected. Right? When they carry themselves in a way in which no one holds them accountable. I want to finish by sharing with you the dangers false prophets pose to you and I today. I want you to listen to Nehemiah's discernment of the so-called prophet's real intentions. Uh, Let's read verse 12 together. Look at Nehemiah. I love his confidence. I'm sure there's more going on. Scripture just kind of records. I'm sure there's more going on in his mind, but listen to this. Verse 12. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. You see the greed there? See the greed? For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid. And I want you to watch this last part. And not act in this way and sin. This purpose he was hired to frighten me and to create an opportunity for me to act in sin. Do you hear that? For this purpose he was hired to frighten me and to get me to act in sin. To get me to fall into sin. The result of believing a false teacher or believing a false teaching will be a steady straying away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The result of believing a false teacher or a false teaching will be the straying away from Christ and the straying into sin. Your love for the gospel will be transformed into a love for self. For Nehemiah, 
finding refuge in the temple sounded reasonable and it sounded biblical. But Nehemiah was not fooled. Why? Because he understood the full counsel of God's word, not just a piece of word that was taken out of context. He knew the full counsel of God's word. What do I mean by that? Only priests were allowed to enter into the temple. In fact, in 2 Chronicles 26, there was a king who entered, and he was struck with leprosy by God. This was serious. The so-called prophet was attempting to manipulate Nehemiah's feelings, causing Nehemiah to run and hide and take the easy way out. If Nehemiah had, would have walked in the prophet's words, he would have compromised God's words, and he would have been led into sin. This goes on today. They may preach in churches. They may use the word of God, but they use it in a way that leads people further into sin. I'm going to conclude this morning, and I feel like I'm going to run, so I'm going to tie my shoe because, God forbid, I fall. This is heavy on my heart. Uh, if, you, if you wanted to know one of the main reasons why I felt like God has called me to be a pastor in the Bay Area, it's going to be this. And if you have attended my church for any time and attend this Inspire, not even my God's church, attended this at any time, you'll know. Uh, this is my heart. And you'll hear this for the rest of our lives together. We have to be watchful. Amen. We have to be watchful. I, I, I don't want to be a, you know, I don't want to throw fear all over this place, but I do want to, I do want you to grow in discernment. We have to be watchful. Uh, we have to be careful on who we allow to influence our walk. Amen. We have to be careful. We have to be watchful of who I am allowing to influence my faith. Who am I allowing to influence my walk? We have to be careful. We have to be watchful. There are people on YouTube. Amen. There are people in podcasts. There are even people you may know personally who are fueling a gospel that feeds itching ears. What are itching ears? These are ears that want to hear words that suit your passions. Uh, this is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how can we discern? Well, here's a couple of questions. Number one is, who's the message centered around? Who is the message centered around? Is it Christ and his gospel? Is it me and my life? Here's another question. Is Christ the means or is he the end? Is he the goal? Is he the means or is he the end? L listen to this. Uh, when these teachers teach, are you ready? They teach happiness. They teach fulfillment. They teach destiny. They teach career. They teach calling. They teach relationships. They teach a beautiful future. These things will be the goal. Christ will be preached. Scripture will be used. But they'll only be used as tools to help you unlock the more important things. They will never end with God's glory, but only with a better life, a better fulfillment, a better way to get where you want to go. And so Christ becomes a partner into your future. He becomes an accessory, an ornament. Are you with me? test yourself are you unhappy because Christ hasn't done anything for you are you currently sitting in here thinking to yourself God's never done anything for me 
I would have to say, you know what? I might have to preach to you the gospel. He's done everything. He's done everything. There's nothing else he needs to do. You have, if you are in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. You have everything. You have eternity. And I get it. We slip and don't. It's part of who we are. I'm not mad. I, I need to preach the gospel to myself over and over again. I get frustrated. I wish things would be different. But Christ has already done everything. I am fully fulfilled in him. Fully fulfilled in him. And yes, I do go through moments where my emotions go up and down. And I do go through moments where I'm going through hard times. And yes, I do have tragedies. And I wish other people would have tragedies. Why am I the only one facing this, God? I get the whys. And I'm not even saying that God's offended by your whys. But the gospel speaks into that, reminds you that he's given you everything. That eternity is far greater than this temporal life, these passing things. Are you unfulfilled in your Christianity? If the answer is yes, maybe it's because you've bought into the idea that Jesus owes you something. <laughs> that Jesus owes me something. What does he owe you? Because he's given you everything. And you didn't earn it and you didn't deserve it. And you'll never deserve it, but he's still giving it to you freely. And he loves you completely. And when you put your faith in him and you repent and believe in the gospel, you're accepted. There's nothing you can do, for better or for worse, to take away what Christ has already done. What does he owe you? He's given you everything. 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 He's paid it all. So, I just want to ask you, are you practicing and developing discernment with the gospel in mind? Are you practicing and developing discernment daily? You might say, well, Phil, how do I do that? It's really simple. Number one, pray for it. Pray for it. Put it in your prayer time. Say, Lord, I, I want to learn to discern. I want to grow in discernment. I want to rightfully be able to understand uh, what is good for me and what is not, even though it may appear to be good. I want to be able to see through it like Nehemiah, know your word, and I want to be able to know what is right and what is true and what is lovely and what is beautiful. I want to focus and think about these things. Pray for it. Ask God for it. He give it as a gift. Number two, Sharpen it. You know it can be sharpened? And did you know discernment can be sharpened when you use it daily? I know that's kind of weird because we think, well, we're just going to use it in big moments. Use discernment daily, Christians. Uh, use discernment daily. When you wake up in the morning, use discernment in your decision making. When you, when you decide what you decide to listen to, use discernment. What you decide to watch, use discernment. I don't want to be a legalistic pastor. You know me. I want the freedom of God to move in here. But I don't want to be a compromising church. And will you grow in discernment? And will you listen to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit? And will you grow in understanding in every daily decision you make? Will you learn and will you listen? Will you grow? Will you mature? Sharpen your daily decision making. Number three. This probably makes everything else. Study scripture. Study scripture. How could I know the full counsel of God? It's not by going to my wife and saying, give me a word, babe. 
to getting into scripture. Because sure, she can give me a word and God can use her to encourage me and speak life into me. But ultimately, what's going to help me grow in discernment is when I understand the full counsel of God's word. Thank God Nehemiah knew the scriptures. He would have been led into sin. Study scriptures regularly. Seek wise counsel. We talked about that earlier. Not counsel from random individuals who are struggling, but individuals who have, who have shown that their faith has been tested and they still hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to finish with this statement. Godly discernment is the skill of understanding and applying the full counsel of God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. Godly discernment is the skill of understanding and applying the full counsel of God's word with the purpose of separating truth from error. Truth from error that's in your thinking and right from wrong that's in your actions and in your doing. That's your beliefs. That's your behavior. So I want to pray that over you this morning if you don't mind. A heavenly father, We are in a hostile world. There is an opponent, an opposer. In fact, Scripture calls Satan the accuser of the saints, a condemner. And the goal is to lead us into sin, to lead us into fraud. The goal is to keep the body of Christ from maturing. The goal is to keep Inspire from maturing. The goal is to keep the body of Christ in the Bay Area from maturity. But we recognize it. We call it out. We're not afraid of it because we understand that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That I've been given the Holy Spirit. That he resides inside of me. That he sharpens and develops discernment. And I just pray in this room, whether we've been Christians for a month, a week, a year our whole lives Lord will we actively begin to discern will we move in our gifts with the fear of the Lord I'm not against moving in the gifts but will we move in the gifts with the fear of the Lord yes will we move in them with confidence but we move in them with the fear of the Lord teach us Lord Lord, we repent we repent we repent if we've listened to false teaching we repent if we've fallen short you're so gentle to forgive us and grow us and move us forward. And Lord, may we be a people, all of us in here. It's the last thing I pray. And can you just, just maybe just in your own life right now, may I become a person that's never above being corrected. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you because your word is beautiful. It's lovely. It's true. Sometimes it stings and sometimes it brings joy. But overall, it's your love. And I pray that this morning as we walk out here that we would feel empowered by your love, that we would feel instructed by your love and that you would continue to uh, create inside of us through your Holy Spirit a people passionate about the gospel, a people passionate about Jesus, a people passionate about your word, and a people living in power in the Bay Area. 
So, Father, we just pray a blessing on everyone here this morning. Pray you be with us as we head out. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You have a wonderful Sunday. Walk in discernment, and we'll see you next week. God bless you. We love you. Fix my eyes, follow in your ways. Forever free and unending grace. Cause you are-